Once again, will you help me just thank all of our moms? It is certainly great to share this day with you. We stepped into a new theme last week on the life of Moses, who is somewhat of a reluctant Old Testament prophet. Yet with all of his reluctancy and his self-doubt and his fear, God used him to accomplish something that we are still talking about today, and that is to rescue the nation of Israel, God's people, Moses' people, from the grip of slavery in Egypt. Last week, we talked about the birth of Moses, and it's unique because Moses entered the world in an environment of hate and genocide. That's how Moses arrived. He was supposed to be killed because he was a Hebrew boy, but yet he was rescued by an Egyptian princess which is a strange twist of fate because her father is the one, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who gave the edict to kill the Hebrew baby boys out of fear that the Israelites might rise up and overcome the Egyptians. So take out the Hebrew baby boys, but this Egyptian princess chose to defy the order of her father, and she rescued Moses and raised him as her own. And you can read all about this in Exodus chapter 2. Now, here's what's fascinating. We don't know a lot about the early years of Moses. There's just not a lot of detail about his childhood. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we read about his birth and his dramatic rescue. But in between chapter 2, verse 10, and then chapter 2 and verse 11... There is a 40-year gap, which is a pretty significant gap in time. So we come to Moses today, and he's no longer an infant. He's not a child. He's actually a 40-year-old man, and we just don't have a lot of detail about his childhood. But we do know this based on what we see in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. It says this, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. So while we don't know a lot about Moses, we are given this glimpse of his early life, that he was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful. He was really good with his speaking, and with all of his actions. So what we know of the early years of Moses, we can find a little bit of that information found in the book of Acts. We also pick up on some things from Josephus, a Jewish historian, and then also Eusebius, who was an early church historian. And what we know based on all of these different accounts, when you put them next to each other, you discover that Moses was well-trained and well-educated. Like he had the best education in the known world at that time. One scholar stated it this way, his formal training was also important and would have started at a very early age. 
The Egyptians were well advanced in their writing and mathematics, including geometry, trigonometry, and the ability to measure and partition land. They studied history, medicine, music, and the art of war. So we can safely come to a conclusion that Moses, because he was raised in the royal palace of the most powerful and influential kingdom of the day, that he had access to really good stuff. He was well-educated, the best of the best. Extra-biblical scholars tell us that Moses likely was an intuitive military strategist, even leading the Egyptian army in victory over the Ethiopians. He was worldly-wise. He was competent in every way. Yet, he is also very aware of how his people... God's people are being treated. He's very aware of this. And he lives with the tension between affluence and everything that was given to him and everything that was provided for him as the prince of Egypt. So he lives with the tension of affluence and injustice what he sees happening to his people, to God's people. And we read this in Acts chapter 7, verse 23. It says, one day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. Again, in Exodus chapter 2, Moses is born. There are 10 verses that talk about his birth and his dramatic rescue from the Nile River and how an Egyptian princess raised him as her own. And then between verse 10 and verse 11, there is a 40-year gap. Moses is now a grown man. I want you to keep that in mind, okay? I want to share a big idea, and then we'll get back to the life of Moses. Here's our big idea for today. God is always at work. And we talked a little bit about this last week, and I want to continue that theme because it falls out of the life and the narrative of Moses. God is constantly at work. And I want to add this sentence. He never slumbers or sleeps. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing to me. God is always at work, even when we may not see it or feel it. And Here's what else we know about God. He never slumbers or sleeps in his watch care for us. If you are a follower of God, you should find that to be really encouraging today. You should. God is always at work constantly, and he never slumbers or sleeps. We'll come back to that in our takeaway section. So in chapters 2 and 3 of Exodus, what we find here as we pick back up on the life of Moses as a 40-year-old man is that he walks through two significant life events. The first event is that he kills someone and he has to run for his life. And we'll read all about that in just a moment. 
but that certainly shapes him, as you can imagine. That's the first life event. The second one comes a little bit later, and it's where he has an actual encounter with God. He meets God face to face, and that certainly changes everything for him. So these two life events are really important in that they shape the life of Moses, the one that we're studying and researching. He kills someone and has to run for his life. He has to leave this life of affluence as the prince of Egypt and take up a new job and be with new people. And then a few years after that, he has an encounter with God. I would love for you to meet me now with your Bible or your device. You can also find this on our church app. The words will also be on the screen. But meet me, please, in Exodus chapter 2. Let's pick up on the story. Verse 11 says, Many years later, when Moses had grown up. And just remember, Acts chapter 7 already told us that he was 40 years of age. So many years have passed from his rescue out of the Nile River. He's a grown man now. And here's what he did. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. So on this day, Moses sees the Hebrews as brothers and sisters, and he connects with their suffering. Something really happens on the inside. So much so that after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and then hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, Who do you think you are? Right? Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? <laughs> Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. Sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian, which scholars tell us is approximately 400 to 700 miles away from Egypt, far enough away where Moses could potentially be safe. I will say that this is a troubling passage. It's troubling because we have Moses, the rescuer, the redeemer, the one that God used, but here he kills someone. Did Moses murder the Egyptian? Was there intent? Or was this justified? And why did this even need to happen? I honestly don't know the answer to that. When you research, a lot of scholars say Moses did commit murder and there was intent, and that's why he was looking around to make sure no one else was watching, 
And that's why he hid the body in the sand, so nobody could discover this. But there are other scholars who disagree and say there are a lot of details about the story we simply do not know. There are things that could have occurred that are left out of the text for us. So I think it is really challenging to know what to do with this particular situation in the life of Moses. What we know is that Pharaoh, the king, the most powerful ruler in the world, hears about Moses killing an Egyptian, and now he's out for blood. He wants to kill Moses. And in the Egyptian judicial system, there would be nothing holding them back from killing someone who was convicted of murder, and that's certainly what Pharaoh wants to chase here. But I think in this case, the Egyptian king may be more interested in revenge than justice, but it really doesn't matter because Moses is in a lot of trouble. He's in a bad place, and so he runs. He flees to the land of Midian, and that's where we continue the story with the rest of verse 15. It says, when Moses arrived in Midian, again, kind of far away from Egypt, where he felt he could be safe, and experts say it could have taken him anywhere from two weeks to a month to make this trip on foot. So he gets to Midian, he's worn out, he sat down beside a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some shepherds, these rascals, came and chased them away. So Moses sees all of this. He jumps up and he rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Raoul, their father, he asked, why are you back so soon today? Well, here's what happened, Father. An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Well, then where is he? The father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. And we have to remember that hospitality in the ancient world was a high value. It's how they honored others. And so the father is thinking here, we have to honor this man. He rescued you and helped water our flocks. We need to do something for him. So go and find him and invite him to dine with us. And that's what they do. Verse 21, Moses accepted the invitation and he settled there with him or with them. And Moses becomes friends with this particular family, so much so that he marries one of the daughters and spends the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd and as a nomad with his new family. So based on what we've read out of this first life event, Moses kills someone. We don't know all of the details. He has to run for his life. He goes to Midian, there he performs a rescue of sorts, and he's invited to dine with his family. He marries one of the daughters, and he begins to live there. 
a couple of thoughts about the life of Moses. It would sure seem that he has a heart for those who cannot help themselves. And you see that happening. Again, we don't know all of the details, but he does have a heart for those who cannot help themselves. And then the second thought is he acts. Now, there's a lot of debate about those actions and whether they were justified or not, but there's no doubt that he acted. That's the first event for Moses in Exodus chapter 2 that kind of shapes him. Let's move on to event number 2 where he meets God face to face. We find this in chapter 3. Here's what verse 1 says. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, who also went by the name Raul. It's the same person. So Moses is now shepherd and he's taking care of the flock. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, I want to pause there before we continue to think about Moses meeting God face to face and say, this is quite an odd career path for Moses, don't you think? I mean, he was the prince of Egypt at one point. He was affluent and was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Everything was right there at his fingertips. He had it all. And then he leaves that and becomes a shepherd with a nomadic family. That doesn't exactly sound like a promotion for a prince of Egypt, does it? No, not at all. It's quite a downfall. It's actually worse than what we can imagine and think, and here's why. The Egyptians hated shepherds. They were basically considered the lowest rung of culture and society. And Moses would have known this. He was raised as an Egyptian. He would have understood how much they hated these individuals who did shepherding kinds of work. And they were despised, and you can read all about that in Genesis chapter 46, verse 34. And I would encourage you to do that at some point, just to pick up on how much the Egyptians hated shepherds. And yet, that's what Moses now is. From the palace of the most powerful kingdom, to being a despised shepherd, this is the career path of Moses, yet we cannot miss this. It's in this career path that God really begins to develop a leader and a rescuer who would accomplish extraordinary things in leading the Israelites, God's people, and Moses' people out of slavery in Egypt. It's in all of that time frame, in the demotions, in the stress, in what seems like nothing significant is happening at all, that God really massages and works on the inside of Moses. Now, here's something else that I think is kind of interesting. Acts chapter 7, verse 30, indicates to us that between event 1, where Moses kills the Egyptian and has to run for his life, and 
he meets his new family. And event number two, where Moses meets God, another 40 years pass. So we've gone from Moses being an infant pulled out of the Nile, and wow, what's going to happen with all of this? To now Moses being an 80-year-old man. That's how much time has passed. Well, let's continue the story and think about this next big event in his life. Here's chapter 3, verse 2. Moses is at Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Well, this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. And that's a really significant statement there, because taking off your sandals in a place in this culture was a sign of respect for sacred space. And so that's a sacred moment and sacred space, and God says, take off your sandals. Now, I like to think of our church home as sacred space as well, but you all get to keep your shoes on today. That'd be a good thing. Moses had to take his off because it's really sacred, and now God says in verse 6, I am the God of your father. I have to put this in a Jewish context now. This is a really important statement here and really big names that God is going to roll out. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, like, wow, that's a big deal. God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. It's interesting because it states here so emphatically, it's clear for us, that God hears and God sees the pain of his people. If you have ever wondered if God sees you and your pain and whatever you may be walking through that hurts and may be beyond speakable to other people, if you have ever wondered if God sees or hears your cries, then I would encourage you to go back to Exodus chapter 3 and just read this over and over and over again and allow God to speak into your heart because we get a characteristic of God revealed to us here. He does see and he does hear. Not only does he see and hear, but God is moved to action and he's going to work through a person. This is often how God chooses to act. When he sees and hears stuff, he often sends open people 
who are humble before him that he can use to accomplish amazing things. And that's what God begins to talk to Moses about. And we're not going to read the rest of this account, but what happens here is that Moses gets a little frightened, as you can imagine, right? I mean, let's remember the story. He kills an Egyptian, and the king is out to kill him. It makes no sense at all for Moses to return to that place. He's living an enjoyable life. He's a shepherd. He's apparently okay with all of that. He has a wife. He has a family. Why go back and do all of that? So Moses begins to argue with God. And one of the excuses he makes to God, he states, who should I tell Pharaoh is sending me? Who should I say I'm working for, basically? Because Moses would have known that Pharaoh's the most important person in the world. He needs to know who's sending me because he knows me. And God basically responded and said, you tell him God is sending you. And I'm greater than Pharaoh. You just tell him that. Well, Moses really didn't have a lot to say in regards to that, so he begins to talk about how I am slow of speech, and I have a thick tongue. That's what the language means in the text. I really can't put two words together, and I'm not good at speaking in front of other people, which doesn't sound anything like what we read in Acts chapter 7 about how Moses was powerful in speech. You remember that? Moses, he's just making all kinds of excuses now, and here's what God does each time. He provides an answer and an assurance, and God is using all of this to invite Moses to participate. Moses, I'm about to do something grand and glorious, and I want you in on this. You are the right person. Maybe God is knocking on your hearts a little bit as you think about your life and circumstances and changes and whatever is out in front of you that seems a little frightening and you don't know how it's all going to work and maybe you don't want to go back to Egypt or wherever it is that God may be calling you or asking you to do. Just know God likely has been preparing your heart And he wants you to get in on the action. He wants you to participate. I love what author Adam Hamilton says about this. On a daily basis, God calls us to participate in this work of encouraging, blessing, challenging, liberating, and healing the world. Get this now. Most often, It happens in small ways. Small ways. I don't know if God is going to call you or me to liberate a nation. Maybe he'll do that, perhaps. That'd be amazing. But it's more likely that God will use all of us within our sphere of influences where we live, work, and play, to do this kind of stuff, encourage, bless, challenge, liberate, and heal the world in very small ways. Don't overlook the small things. 
that God is calling you to do through his power and through his ability. And moms, let me just say this to those of you in the room and to those of you watching online. I think you really lead out on encouraging, blessing, challenging, liberating, and healing the world. And we all owe a debt of gratitude to you for leading out on that. I want to encourage you and challenge you to keep doing that and keep setting that example for all of us. It's a godly thing, really is. Okay, Exodus chapter 2 and 3, two big life moments for Moses. What do we do with this content? I have three takeaways. Number one, God is always at work. I don't want us to forget that. Even when we can't see it or feel it, God is at work. So let's regularly pause and praise him. Even if we don't see it. And even if we don't feel it, and even if we have to wait 40 years or 80 years, may we not forget that God is always at work. And so let's just pause and praise him. And maybe this would be a glorious thing for you to do today as you wait for God. Or maybe you have your answer and you're rejoicing in that. One of the things we get from the life of Moses is God's at work. So let's just keep pausing and praising him and thanking him for what he is doing. Let's do that. I love the words of Psalm 121 that say this, he will not let you stumble, speaking of God. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. He never needs a nap. Wow. And it ends with this promise here. The Lord himself watches over you. Are you kidding me? God could send any minion to do his work, but instead, the statement here is God himself watches over you. God himself. Like, personalize that. That's for you. For you. On Friday, I had the opportunity to speak to a family who's walking through a very difficult time right now in that they are about to lose the matriarch of their home. This is someone who has been a part of Valley Point for a long time. Just a precious, precious soul. And her time on earth is coming to an end. And she's about to step into heaven. And I was able to talk to the family and encourage them. I believe with everything inside of me, she'll be there because of her trust in Jesus alone. She spoke freely of that. So based on what we see in scripture, we know that she'll be welcomed into the arms of God very soon. And in just talking to the family about her moving from earth into Glory, I shared these verses with him. He's not going to let you stumble. The one who watches over you, even as your mom passes into eternity, God's not sleeping. He who watches over Israel, he doesn't slumber or sleep. 
The Lord himself watches over you now and for your precious mom, the saint. The Lord himself is watching over that whole journey. Take comfort in that. For you as a family, know that he's watching over you as well. And his strong arms will be there for you. And he won't stop resting after you say your final goodbyes. Psalm 121 is a wonderful reminder that no matter what we experience in life, whether it's death or something else that steals our joy, or whether it's a great success or something that brings tremendous joy into our hearts, the Lord himself watches over you. May that just fall into your soul today. The Lord himself watches over you. He's always at work. So let's pause and praise him, okay? Takeaway number two is a question. How does God want to use you to solve problems? So let that just roll around in your mind today. Injustice. Those who are marginalized and pushed to the fringes of culture, maybe God wants to use you to rescue some people from shepherds, perhaps. And I don't know what that looks like in your context, but maybe God is planting something on your heart. How does God want to use who you are and your influence to serve other people? Because what God has given to you in terms of your influence is from him and always should be used in service to others. So how does God want to use you to solve problems? You just wrestle with that today. And then the final takeaway is look for small ways. Let's not forget about the small things. God's in that too. Look for small ways to encourage, bless, challenge, liberate, and heal within your sphere of influence. Back to the big idea. God is always at work. He's always at work. He never slumbers or sleeps. May this fill us today with hope as we honor him and worship him. Father, we come to you so thankful for a little bit of time here to look at two chapters in the book of Exodus that talk about the life of Moses. We've watched him age today right in front of our eyes from an infant to an 80-year-old man. A lot of stuff happened to him. And we don't always understand it all or get it, but what we can conclude is you are always at work. Even when we may not see it or feel it, you're constantly at work. You never slumber or sleep. So this should cause us, no matter how we're feeling today, no matter what we're experiencing, to praise you. So God, help us to do that now as we respond to you and to your greatness. Help us to keep eyes on you, using the life and the example of Moses as a guide. And may we take away these items and live a full life this week, rejoicing in you 
and who you are and what you have accomplished. And God, all the praise goes to you. All to you. God, for the moms here today, encourage them and bless them, I do pray. And use them to continually lead out on encouraging and challenging and liberating and rescuing. We need their example. So bless them and continue to use them. We pray all of this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.